This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. Hi, I'm Paul New. Hi, I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs from AOPA. On Ask the AMPs, we take your toughest maintenance questions and we uh, do our best to uh, to answer them. So if you have a question, and we really hope you do, because wouldn't wouldn't work without that. Please send your questions to podcasts at aopa.org and we'll uh, we'll try to schedule you to get on the show. And if you have as much fun listening to the podcast as we do producing the podcast, be sure and subscribe and follow us wherever you listen. They couldn't possibly have as much fun. No, that's true. That's probably true. <laughs> it's illegal. Uh, it's illegal. Yeah, <laughs> and and if, uh, by the way, and if you'd like to uh, to get on our uh, email list for our monthly newsletter and other good stuff, um, uh, the easiest way to do that is to pick up your smartphone and text the word "savvy" s a v v y to three three seven seven seven, which is not a prime number. I don't know, <laughs> but text the word "s a v v y" to three three seven 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 and a little uh, email bot will pop up and, and ask you for your name and email address and put you on our mailing list. Again, text the word SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777 to put yourself on our list. So, Mike, we have a lot of, or and Colleen, we have a lot of big news in the maintenance world with clamps. clamps. Bad news. <laughs> Bad news. Bad news. If you have a turbo, at least. Is yeah, it yeah. just turbos or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I assume. I don't know yeah, of any yeah. non-turbos. That yeah, no. It's it's specifically it's specifically multi-segment uh, V-band clamps with what the what the AD calls V-band couplings that connect the uh, the tailpipe to the turbocharger, and um, the FAA issued a an AD affecting literally every turbocharged engine in the universe. It has the uh, multi-segment couplings which is most of most of the turbocharged engines and they they life limited the clamps and they said what is it 500 hours and you have to replace them and if you don't have a record of how old yours is you have to assume it's more than 500 hours and you have to replace it and the problem is there aren't any clamps the supply instantly dried up probably dried up when the NPRM came out <laughs> yeah. I, doubt, I doubt it even <laughs> waited for the AD and uh, I checked yesterday Somebody was in South Africa was desperately looking for clamp, and best delivery I could find was next April. So, what do you think you could get for some of these suckers if you've got a stash? <laughs> Billions, <laughs> prob- prob- probably ten times the, the normal selling yeah. price. My, People my are erst- desperate. My erstwhile husband has um, a box of these that he's not, you know, wait, bringing wait, wait. out. Your your what husband? Erstwhile. Erstwhile. Yeah. Erstwhile. Uh, yeah. Man, I, I love this podcast. I learned so many new words. <laughs> Dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got a bunch of these, and uh, I'm I'm thinking we could uh, you know take a vacation this winter, maybe easily <laughs> find a trip to Antarctica or something like that. Well, if 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 he if he has Antarctica, it's cold. If he has any decency in him at all, he will send at least one of them to South Africa for this oh, poor yeah, right. make guy who is desperate. Yeah. Um, so you but, can't. You know, it, it, oh, go ahead. Um, 
Well, I was just going to ask, I mean, the classic question is, could you monitor the condition of these or is it something you can't see until it goes real fast? Yeah, there's some allowance for inspecting and continuing an operation initially, but still most of them, as Mike said, uh, you don't know how long they've been on there. They were installed with the engine. So, but how do they fail? Is what I'm asking. Is oh, it they crack? They and, and, but is it like one day it's fine and the next day it's done? And, no, it it takes a while. And this is nothing new. This is we've had V-band clamp ads and concerns for decades. But could they have written the ad differently to keep them in service longer? As long as you monitor every ten hours or. Twenty hours or whatever, or is that? Do you think that's not reasonable? Well, you know, the thing is, this problem with these multi-segment clamps has been known for decades. This is not not new, and it has always seemed to me, and I, I've run into this problem many times before with, with ads over the decades that I've followed stuff like this. The FA is not really good at thinking about the logistics when they put an AD in place is as to whether the parts are going to be available or whether they're going to be putting a bunch of the fleet on the ground because they can't get the parts that the AD requires them to get. I mean, there's really two things that, that have always bugged me about the AD process as it, as it is currently constituted. One is, that the FAA doesn't really have an obligation to assess the risk involved in the accomplishment instructions to see whether whether, whether the um, the cure is worth is worse than the disease, which which in my view it 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 sometimes is. <laughs> and the second is that that they don't really have an obligation to to make sure that what they are mandating is 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 possible. To do. It's a systems engineering approach, a whole systems approach that they're not taking. They're saying safety first, everything else is second. It's like, what's the term? Um, Cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, it doesn't make sense to do that. And you should consider the entire consequence. Well, some of their thinking is definitely behind the times. And this isn't FAA bashing. Uh, But (laughs) another, well, it sort of is. But they're so far behind the times in other aspects as well, like the $85 an hour is their standard. This yeah, is what it costs to rate. get something done. And so an AD just came out on the Epic. It's a turboprop. I can't imagine any shop that's willing to work on that airplane that's charging less than $140, $150 an hour. So, yeah, there's just a lot about their process that needs to be there's, there's there's probably some guy in west texas operating off the back of his pickup truck that, that <laughs> could do it for 85 but on an epic <laughs> yeah yeah that those days are are long gone I, I don't have any clue where the 85 came from but you're right i mean some of their their processes are just just not thinking ahead but you can be safe by not flying at all which is i think where they end up it's like well you know we're not worried about whether you accomplish your goal of getting from A to B as much as we are that no accidents occur. Well, that makes their job easier. Sure. <laughs> I guess. But yeah. Um, and so it's really our obligation, our obligation as, as users and as an industry to, to band together and to raise hell when, when ADs like this are proposed. And it appears that, not nearly enough hell was raised over these these uh, these V-band clamps. You know, the the other thing that, that that bothers me about this whole V-band clamp thing is, you know, multi-segment V-band clamps are terrible. They have they have a, a long long history of cracking, yeah. and you and you got to take exhaust system failures and turbocharged engines super seriously because you know, like I said, people die and fall out of the sky. You know. An in-flight fire is is every pilot's worst nightmare. So we don't want to play around with this stuff. But there are single-segment V-band clamps that don't have the problem. And fortunately, fortunately, my airplane has all single-segment clamps and doesn't have any these horrible multi-segment clamps. And yet, the AD doesn't provide any basis for substituting single-segment clamps for multi-segment clamps. 
if the airplane was originally certified with a multi-segment clamp, unless somebody secures an STC, um, which is a process that take, typically takes years, you've got to replace it with the same bad clamp, you know, and then throw it away every 500 hours. And the clamps are expensive. It's, it's just think, not a good solution. You would think the motivation would be in the industry to improve the product, not have to be prodded by the FAA to do it in a catastrophic. Yeah, it's well, interesting. Yeah, exactly. when at, at AirVenture, um, I stopped by the the uh, the Gammy booth. Uh, yeah, they're working and, on it. And I know George showed me some prototypes of, of some beautiful single-piece clamps that he was working on getting STC'd. But that's the last I've heard about them. And everybody's desperate for clamps. And, and I assume this is like in normal STCs that they take forever to get. So, so you know, it, it, it's not, this is not going to be a solution for the short-term problem where the supply chain is just out of these things. Our first question is from Brendan, who is looking out for a friend. Go ahead, Brendan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, love the show. And yeah, so this question is actually about my friend's plane, which I've spent a fair about bit of time flying. Uh, my fiance has almost identical plane and motors. I know a fair bit about them and reach out to you guys because I've listened to almost every single one of your podcasts and uh, I've been trying to help my friend with diagnosing this problem. So it's a 1946 Taylorcraft BC-12D with a C85 uh, that has the O200 crank rods and pistons STC. Uh, no electric, you just hand pop the thing and usually fires right up. But a while back, it started to have faint intermittent problems of basically the RPM dropping in, in flight, barely noticeable. But then several months ago, just after takeoff at only a couple hundred feet, it completely lost power momentarily. Um, Talked to the mechanics. They thought it was carb ice, which is not uncommon on these motors, especially in Alaska. And then it happened again. Brought it back into the mechanics, blamed carb ice again, but eventually got the problem to um, happen on the ground with the mechanics witnessing it. So, yeah, I guess we'll watch the video, but it sounds pretty bad, like someone's pulling the mixture momentarily or shutting off the megs momentarily. So, uh, Brendan, when... I heard it just kind of cut out in the beginning, but later it seemed like a, a second event and the RPM was dropping and then the throttle was brought in to bring it back to life. Is that, am I hearing that correctly or were they actually pulling the throttle back? Uh, no, that's, that's correct. And I think you can hear it best at the beginning there where it just completely cuts out, you know, momentarily and then comes back on. And this engine has just standard two magnetos, Nothing interesting in the ignition system? Nothing interesting. So here's the list of what I got from the mechanics via text message, everything they did. They had both mags rebuilt, which they said were internally timed wrong from the factory. Tried a different set of mags, Bendix instead of Slicks, with a different wiring harness. Had all cylinders I ran for valve clearance and new guides from sticky valveware. Reset all drive valve flash and gap on all cylinders bypassed all fuel screens to ensure good fuel flow to the carb, tried three different carbs, one off a neighbor's tailor craft that was known to work well, and checked all spark plugs, which seemed to make good spark. No luck. And then the mechanic reported that, and then today one of the megs quit entirely, which brought me back to those, but we tried another set last week. And Holy smokes. Yeah. Well, now the mechanic's out of ideas. Uh -huh. We discussed it with some other mechanics who didn't have any aha moments. So wondering if you guys have any thoughts well, or ideas first off it doesn't seem like a spark issue because you'd have to have two mags fail at the same time which is why i was asking if you had some sort of special thing you know you guys in alaska and gals have a reputation for doing some wild things which is i, I was suspect <laughs> right from the beginning when it's like you're asking for a friend you know wink wink kind of thing but so anyway <laughs> i had the same reaction Paul. you know in aviation when somebody says I, I, I have a friend with a problem. You just know that yeah. this is a... Yeah, so we're, we're going to give you this one. But, in you know, ignition, that doesn't... It just doesn't even seem plausible. I wouldn't have even started my troubleshooting with ignition. But the carburetor and fuel slash air supply seems perfectly plausible. Air and supply... If they, had, this... if they hadn't replaced the carburetor twice... 
I, I would say it's a sticky float, but right. since they yeah. replaced the carburetor several times, I think that rules that out. I mean, I saw two obvious problems when I was looking at that video. One was those chocks are so way too small for those tires. I mean, that's those a joke. I, I sure as hell wouldn't want to be standing in front of that airplane while it's running out. And, and, and the second thing is that engine was at an angle. I don't know if you're supposed to run engines at an angle like that, are you? Yeah, the, the nose it was tilted stuff. way tail back. Dragger. Yeah. Mike, it's called a tail dragger. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then. with the change of the carburetor, I would assume that the airflow into the carburetor was, was checked. There's no shop rags or anything in there. You're kind of left with fuel supply. Which I mean, the mechanics bypassed everything. Machine all the, the fuel system and went directly to the carb. So how did they bypass the fuel system and go to the carb? Like in a separate tank with the fuel line going to it? I believe so. Wow. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty extreme. That is extreme. <laughs> I yeah. Th this problem is, has been going on for, for months now. So can I throw out when I bought my Skybolt and flew it away from Tennessee, it was flying perfectly for two hours. And then all of a sudden it started missing. And this was in the air. It was all very exciting. Plugs. Yeah. And, and uh, when I taxied in, I did a mag check and it was a mess. And the, the mechanic who I love, he's since passed away. He recommended, let's check the spark plugs first. They're the cheapest thing on the engine before we start, you know, taking things apart. And they, they didn't just look at them. When I took them out, the, the electrodes were beautiful. And I said, that's not the problem. You know, I was so frustrated because they looked, they seemed to make a great spark. But when he put them in the bomb tester, you know, in the, where it, it pressurizes them and checks the spark, they all failed under that. And he said, somebody sold you an airplane and they had dropped all the spark plugs, which I don't know if that's true. I don't want to say that. The owner is a friend, but... <laughs> The thing is, I mean, when you say the plugs seem to make a good spark, were they checked in a machine and did they check the resistance? Uh, because for me, that was causing that problem. On the same note, I also had an issue in my Cardinal with skipping or missing in flight when everything's trimmed out and perfect, it just started missing. And it turned out to be the ignition harness had a lot of time on it and wasn't providing a good spark. So Twice now that happened to me where it was an ignition issue, and I really didn't suspect that. And it took a lot of replacing things before I finally found that problem. Yeah, I don't know how the spark plugs, how they actually tested the spark plugs. So that's definitely one thing. And then, uh, like I said, my fiance has almost identical plane, and she had an issue very, very similar, and it turned out to be the wire, wire harness. Uh, so that's what I went to, but they tried okay. another one. They tried another harness, really? Yeah, and different magnetos. Oh, yeah, that's right. I see that now on your list. Wow. Well, they've done a lot of troubleshooting. I mean, I would I would ask them about the spark plugs just because when you said they seem to make a good spark, that's kind of tracked back to my experience that get some data on that. I mean, maybe they did put it in a plug tester, in which case I, I can't, can't doubt that. And? Was it just low RPM or I, uh, even on the higher uh, RPM? It was happening I also heard in cruise, missing. right? You said it happened during climb. Yeah, and takeoff. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, like in the beginning of that video, it just fully dropped out momentarily. And you have no engine monitor, so we can't say it's a sticking valve or anything. Yeah, like I, that, I've but. been biting my tongue. I wasn't going to do the engine <laughs> monitor thing because this, this, you know, this is a Taylor craft after all. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I understand. How long has it been since the engine was either overhauled or case split? I don't know the exact date, but it's been a while. But they pulled, yeah. I know you guys love this, they, they pulled all the cylinders and mm -hmm. inspected them all and didn't find any smoking gun there. They pulled the cylinders to inspect them instead of a borescope. Interesting. Okay. Boy, and you don't have hydraulic lifters. Fuel, air, spark. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right. you know, you go, you go to the very basics and spark doesn't seem logical, although... It can happen if you have a whole set of bad plugs, but typically all the, in order for it to be plugs, we're talking an intermittent problem. So like Colleen, your situation, yours was not intermittent. They were failing on your flight to land 
well, it was like a hesitation, throw you in, into the straps and then, you know, so it was kind of like what he's experiencing and it, it was at different RPMs and different flight regimes. Um, but it was fine until it wasn't fine, which really was disturbing, you know. Different carburetors. So I'm thinking a sudden air leak uh, somewhere in the induction system, but all that's been off and back on. I assume they're putting new gaskets on when they put on these different carburetors. The, the other thing that I've seen, and I don't know, his aircraft's probably completely different. Does he have any sort of alternate air thing where it could be blocking the air intake and then not blocking it? We, we have that in the Cardinal. It's, it's, a, it's a hinge door that breaks off and, jam, and you know completely obstructs the intake into the servo. And then, it, then the engine starts to die and it pops back out. Is there I had something? that on my twin Comanche. But yeah, I'm not sure flight. what the C85 has for alternate air, if anything, right? Well, it have to have car. It has to have carb heat. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Check to make sure that valve isn't moving. I mean, I know you've had it all apart, but we have to ask some of the obvious questions. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I haven't put my eyes on that, but I assume with putting three, two different carbs, three total, that would have been inspected. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think at this point. With all the things that have been done, boy, they, uh, assuming that other things were checked, I would, I would go say, well, okay, maybe we assume, but maybe during certain operations that valve is moving and it's covering the inlet to the carburetor, and then when the engine starts uh, to to die, that vacuum goes away and that piece falls out of position. You're talking about the carburetor heat door. The carburetor heat door or the box or something associated with it. I'm not real familiar with what this looks like on the Taylor craft. Uh, but I experienced something incredibly similar, completely different design. But the air alternate air door on my twin Comanche, the hinge failed. And so the door inside the induction uh, made its way to cover the air inlet to the throttle yep. body. Exactly. And that just interrupted everything. The engine kept running, which is odd. Uh, but as a throttle back, apparently repositioned and it was changing. This all happened on one particular flight. And when I landed, started looking around. Sure enough, I find the air door. Now, if I'd changed the throttle body, this would have shown up. But I'm just saying there are maybe failure modes that can allow something to cover it up. I ingest suggested a shop rag earlier, but this mm -hmm. would be the equivalent of a shop rag. You know, I, again, I don't know the T-Craft and the C-85. I don't even think it has any mufflers or anything like that. But a, a loose mm. baffle and a muffler could yeah, also flame cause flame a flame cone. cone could also cause yeah. intermittent power loss. And it's That's very serious. Really good. Does it? Yeah. I don't think it has an exhaust like that, though. Does it have straight pipes? Straight out. I know on my Super Cub, the, the flame... Uh, yard is an issue, but I don't think it is on the Taylor yeah, Croft. I don't craft. think so. Oh, you think it just has straight pipes and yeah, no muffler? I think so. No, yeah, I am actually sure it does just yeah. straight. Yeah, sounded like what, straight pipes. What, what about is there any possibility that it's a that, that it's a, a cylinder valve issue, a valve hanging up somehow? Well, they had all the cylinders off, yeah, and they put new guides one, in. One valve wouldn't shut it totally down, would it? I mean, it was like. Well, totally. on a little on a little four cylinder engine, it might. Yeah, it could. Might. Yeah, they said they had all cylinders off and checked them for valve clearance and checked the guides. So, hmm. but the air box is a good thing to check. I know on my Super Cub, that's one thing my mechanic always tells me to look closely at because they are a failure point. And on the C eighty five, they're very the air box is very similar. So, yeah, okay. good thing to look into. We'll call that a win. <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas are helpful. I mean, you could you could probably you could probably ground run the thing with the earbox removed. Uh, yeah, and, and I would just, absolutely do that. If, yeah. if it if if it runs smoothly, you know it's somewhere in the earbox. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you run the risk of you know unfiltered air in the carburetor, but uh, oh, you're not going to do this. It, very it's long. not much. Yeah, you're not going to do it very long. And but, because but I, but the I, airplane's at a tilt. I, I would suggest getting bigger chocks first. Yeah. Oh, geez, or just, uh, you know, tie a rope to the tail. 
Uh, I think the tail was tied down that video. Okay, yeah, well, I hope so because those jacks weren't gonna weren't gonna restrain that airplane. Right. Well, you know, with the with the tail on the ground, the engine's higher, so the risk of sucking up trash and stuff. That's right. That's why they do it. That's that why way. they do it. That way. <laughs> and Check at this point, all it's going to be is just snow and ice. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think with those tires, the engine is up there. Oh, that's you know, true. Half, halfway to the flight level. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Brendan, we're all just jealous. We all wish they I could be flying in Alaska. Yeah, that would be fun. Now, I don't cool. want to live there, but I would love to fly there a little bit. Well, I, let me know I, when you guys come up and. Thanks for the ideas. You know, anything is helpful at this point. Uh, the mechanic said this has just kept him up at night, you know, for months now. And we're just yeah. kind of out ideas. But those are all, all helpful. And yeah. if anything else comes up, let me know. All right. I, I flew my, my 310 up to Alaska in 1990, spent a month up there. It was, it was like the best vacation I've ever had. It was just absolutely phenomenal. It's Very, different. Yeah. <laughs> different world. <laughs> I. I, I every time I went in to talk to, to anybody, every time I went into flight service for a briefing, that was back in the days you could get an in-person briefing. Somewhere in the conversation, there always was some comment about you must be from the lower 48. You're not yeah. from around here, you know. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Somebody looked in the window of my 310 said, I don't see a radar altimeter. You're not from around here. <laughs> <laughs> Or a rifle. Or a rifle. <laughs> right. Yeah, a rifle. <laughs> thanks, right. Brendan. Yeah, All thanks, right. Brandon. Great question. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. All thanks. right. Our next question is from James, who has first-time owner nerves. Go ahead, James. Hi, good morning, guys. Well, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And Colleen, yes, absolutely right. Um, this would be first airplane purchase for myself and uh, potentially one or two other partners who are looking in, looking to get in on the, the aircraft as well. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> that is not the first time I've heard somebody say that. <laughs> so we've been doing some pretty good research. And the kind of aircraft that we're looking at that fits our mission and price point in terms of performance and equipment is basically a Piper Arrow, or we've also been looking at uh, some Moonies as well. So a single engine piston kind of is the is is the range that we're looking at here. And I kind of disappeared down the rabbit hole, as you kind of do when you're looking at aircraft purchases, um, looking at the difference between, in terms of maintenance, really, because everyone knows that potentially the purchase of the aircraft isn't the most expensive part of aircraft ownership. Right. <laughs> so I went down the rabbit hole and looking at the differences between retractable gear, fixed gear, turbo, naturally aspirated. So I was just looking to get some information from, from you folks. Um, obviously, you've seen uh, a, lot of, a lot of both of these types of aircraft come and go in your, in your experience. And I was just looking to get some information on the potential difference in cost of maintaining and operating fixed gear versus retractable, turbo versus non-turbo, six-cylinder versus four-cylinder. Wow. This is going to be a long conversation. It could with be. A lot we need of- to... With a lot of quibbling. Oh, well. I mean, my first airplane was a retractable. And after two years of pain, everything was fine. I didn't, I don't have a problem with, no, but it took two years to kind of figure out issues with that. But I, I've enjoyed the retractable and it was a four cylinder and I like, I own a six cylinder now and I really like only having to clean four sets of plugs, not six. That extra two cylinders is a lot more. So I think it's very economical to fly a four-cylinder aircraft, and I would recommend it. That's my input. And the constant speed question, no brainer. I think that constant speed prop has been very um, low maintenance, little, and I think it adds a lot to your comfort in the cabin and your performance. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. 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 Okay, over to you, Paul and Mike. (laughs) Insurance. Ah, oh, well, that's true. I, I should have said that. Yeah, we took a big hit on insurance as student pilots initially with a, a retractable. Right. Even even experienced pilots, retractable yeah, is a deal. That's true. It's about and, a fifty percent bump in insurance, yeah, I would say. Can be, so yeah. Yeah. Gear up landings represent a very large percentage oh, yeah. of insurance claims. Yeah. yeah. I would just throw out uh, as a possibility the you're looking at pipers, you, you Seem, sounds like you're going towards the low wing, which is fine. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it's all right. That's okay. 
Um, and Paul. Yeah, I'm heading well, to Tulsa Paul this weekend to teach the Amber 182 Wingsters. class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Amber, Amber, yeah. The, uh, if you're looking at the retractable arrow, compare it to the Dakota or the uh, Cherokee 235. You may be surprised at the minimal difference in performance. And it's the exact same air, airframe from the firewall aft. Of course, the Dakota's got a lot more horsepower. It has the 235 horse Lycoming, which is a phenomenal engine, even though it does have has two extra cylinders. But the the turbo that you're looking at, the Arrow, is a six cylinder. It's the Continental IO 360. The normally aspirated Pipers are typically four cylinder lights. Yep. Yeah. The turbocharged and, ones are six cylinder Continentals because for some reason. Lycoming never made a four-cylinder right. turbocharged engine. That's a follow-up yeah. question I had also. Yeah. What was the logic? Don't know. I, I don't think there's any it's a logic. Business um, decision. Con- Continental has always been the leader in turbocharging. Hmm. Um, and, and Lycoming, the, 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 only, the only engines that Lycoming turbochargers are the 540 and I guess now the 580. Except for um, aftermarket, you can aftermarket turbo. Yeah, the the, the the TR one eighty two has a. Um, but that's a six cylinder. It is a six cylinder. It's a yeah. it's a it's a carbureted Lycoming O five O five forty that 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 <laughs> con, that that Cessna put a blower in front of the carburetor, which is yeah. probably not the finest hour of Cessna engineering, but. So in terms of uh, maintenance expense for, a, say, a turbo versus a naturally aspirated, do you see significantly more unscheduled maintenance items related to people not necessarily knowing how to operate correctly? Because none of the guys in our group have turbo time. So There is some scheduled maintenance increase on turbocharging because typically the turbochargers don't make it through the life of the engine. You, you, you can usually figure having to change a turbocharger once while the, during the engine's life. 1,500 hours uh, on a turbocharger is, is probably about as much as you're, as you're likely to get. They're not, they're not all that expensive uh, as airplane parts go, and it's usually not a horrible job to, to, to change them, but you do need to ex- uh, expect to change them you do need to expect a little bit more exhaust system maintenance on, on on turbocharged airplanes. But the big thing is that you know a turbocharged engine is is a lot easier to abuse. Yes. <laughs> if, if you have a ham-handed pilot, it's best not to not to put a blower at his disposal. Oh, interesting. And the, to to compound that, the the turbocharged PA twenty eights that you're looking at use Continental 360 engines, and the the 360 engine it's not a, it's not a bad engine, but it's 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 like of all of the engines that we've been talking about, it's the least robust. Basically, in developing the 360 Continental took the the big bore design, the 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 475 2550 design, and kind of made a lightweight version of it, and it is less tolerant of of abuse than the big bore continentals are. And so you need to treat those engines with with care. You need to be pretty obsessive about temperature control. And and some of them are worse than others. The the the, the harder you blow <laughs> that engine, the more likely it is to to go through cylinders. I love the, that. The the the, yeah. the, 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 the pressurized skymaster I think is the worst. Oh, They've got a 360 engine that 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 that's that's rated at 225 horsepower, which is way more than that engine really ought to be producing, and um, and it goes through cylinders a lot. Plus, the, the Skymaster has some unique uh, engine cooling problems to, to begin with. The turbocharged engine in the in in the Arrow, I think, is 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 only rated at at, at 200. I yep. think. 200 and it so it's, really works hard to get it so it's 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 not it, it's not one of the really bad uh cases also fortunately piper didn't go for this fixed wastegate thing that that you see like in moody 231s and so on which was like oh, a terrible they did idea. on the seneca 
Oh, they did on the Seneca. That's yeah. right. Oh, but that, yeah. that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> no, not a good. <laughs> uh, Merlin, yeah. Uh, I, I don't hmm. know. Yeah, the 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 ones with a fixed wastegate can be retrofitted with a Merlin system, which is a, a little bit weird. It's a pneumatically controlled automatic wastegate, but but th- those that's not an issue for the airplanes you're looking at. So I, I wouldn't be scared of the of the uh, the turbo arrow, but if you do buy one, you need to you need to have an engine monitor for sure, and you need to educate all people who fly it to be very very obsessive about keeping cylinder head temperatures under control some standardized training very good well thank you guys i think you answered my question very thoroughly i appreciate your time and colleen i'm actually just uh, just up the coast from you i'm at uh, john wayne so oh, okay. anytime you anytime you're up this way let's go have lunch let's go find that uh, i used to be based there back in yeah. the day back, back 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 before it was called john wayne it was called orange county airport yeah, it's been a great place. I've been doing all my training out of here, so it's yeah. been a good experience so far. Oh, James, it sounds like you need to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> if yeah. you don't have one, I'm, right. I'm an engineer. I love spreadsheets, so yeah, yeah, I know. right at uh, right at my alley. This yeah, is permission perfect. to do that, and it's not even geeky. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. Okay, well, great question. I I know at least I have a friend looking for an airplane right now, and she's in the same boat. She's been comparing models, and that's what you got to do. You got to just rack and stack everything to feel comfortable with the decision when you actually pull the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, guys. I uh, love the show. Thank you for everything you do. Much appreciated. Yeah. Have Good fun. to have you on, James. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. So a letter for this episode. This is from John. He says, Hi, I just listened to your September 15th show. I think you might have downplayed the Lycoming wobble test a bit. There was a lot of emphasis that uh, reaming was the major component. I disagree. Both aspects of the test, the min and the max, are important. The min clearance will declare itself without usually creating a major a major situation, i.e. a stuck valve. However, the max clearance is just as, or perhaps more important, because in the Lycoming with the sodium-filled valves, as that wear, as the guide wear increases, the valve face contacts the seat at different angles. This stresses the stem neck and can break the valve off the stem and send it into the piston. The loose parts migrate out of the intake and travel to other cylinders and cause further damage. Um, not having that one cylinder offline isn't enough. At least that's what's happened to me at 1,700 hours on my 0320. I've seen it on a few other airplanes. They all have been Grumman 0320 or 0360s. That's also what I work on. See, I think he was reacting to, I think what Paul said is, I don't even bother doing the wobble test. I just ream because Paul says it, it invariably, it's just quicker to do it that way. But he's warning it might be too loose. Well, it can. So the, the, the wobble test... You, you get all the tooling set up and you check in round numbers, 15 thousandths to 30 thousandths movement on the valve stem at a specific distance from the top of the valve guide. Every engine's a little bit different, so there's, there's specs involved. What we found in the airplanes that we worked on, which were the 540s, and the engines that I see here, I have yet to see one that's loose. Every one that I've dealt with, it was tight. Take the rocker arm off, and I mean, some of them you couldn't even move. So we didn't, with those, we wouldn't bother doing the test because we knew they were too tight. I think the way it goes is that when you ream it, if, if the reamer wobbles, then, <laughs> yeah. then you worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. They have the limits for a reason. They came out with a new type of guide material. So the bell mouthing of the guide, which is, makes it wobble, is less likely. But uh, so they, they went from 400-hour recurring check to a 1,000-hour recurring check. But in all my time, I never had one that, that bellmouthed, which is why I made the comment that I did about I just ream it. Okay. But if he's experiencing some that are loose, I mean, you would know it right off the bat. As soon as you take the springs off, grab a hold of that valve, it's like, holy smokes, yeah. this, is, this feels not tight. Then, yeah, maybe, maybe do that test. Interesting. Good. Good. So our next question is from Will, who's wondering if he has a lemon. That sounds so sad. Oh, yeah, it does. Go ahead, Will. <laughs> Hello to all three of you. Thank you so much for taking my question. Um, I just uh, found metal in my oil filter during, during a routine oil change. And uh, so I pulled out my borescope 
and uh, popped the cap off the oil filler neck and saw that I had a pitted lifter and it, and it was destroyed around the side. Uh, the engine was overhauled in 2019 and has 209 hours on it. Okay. It's in a, a 1975 Cessna 180 with the P-Ponk 0470 uh, 50. And I've always run cam guard in it. Um, it's been hangered since it's been overhauled. And I make sure to fly it to get the oil temp up to 180, uh, run it for about a half an hour at least at that temperature. And I've had a dehydrator on it last winter uh, when I was having some work done on it where it sat the most. It sat for six months last winter. What's so frustrating about this is that the reason I had to overhaul the engine was I found a metal in my filter and had a, a rusty cam. And when I purchased the airplane in November of 2017, uh, I flew it weekly for 120 hours until I found the metal in the filter in December of 2018 and elected to have it overhauled for various reasons. But anyway, back to my current situation, when we found the the lifter had been uh, spalled, uh, we followed, uh, my mechanic followed uh, the service directive uh, 05-1 Bravo, and we removed all the lifters and found that the number five lifter had been spalled. And uh, he used a pick and inspected the, the lobe, uh, cam lobe face, and um, it appeared to be okay. So we put a new lifter in and I flew it and found more metal and looked back down the filler neck and found that it, in fact, was not okay and had, again, spalled that lifter. So uh, I've removed the engine and it's off the airplane for repair at this time. I record all my flights. Yeah. I recorded all my flights. I went back in the logs and um, I noticed that I'd had two two-month periods of inactivity, one three-month and then, like I mentioned last winter, I, it sat for six months with getting some major work done on it. After the three-month period, uh, which was the winter previous, I noticed that the iron in my oil sample increased from 29 parts per million to 44. I feel as though I'm, get, I'm getting a double master's degree in aircraft ownership and possibly <laughs> flunking. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you can give me some insight, insight into what I'm doing and it seems as though these engines are really fragile, but whatever I did wrong, I'd like to figure out so that I don't do it again. Well, the 0470 is certainly not a fragile engine. It's one of the one of the most robust engines ever built. You've got a P-Punk conversion on it that, that puts 550 cylinders or 520 cylinders on it, but that, that does, doesn't make it non-robust. And let me let me understand you. You found a a pitted lifter you pulled the lifter inspected the cam what through the vacant lifter bore that's correct we pulled uh, all of the lifters out and the cam lobes seemed okay and then you put in new lifters and the same the the same lifter position is the one that came apart yes correct and it did it in about a two-hour flight oh that's that, that's not doesn't seem that right can't, that, that can't happen that that's that has to be a bad lifter. You can't, even if the cam was all messed up, a lifter wouldn't come apart. Too yeah. Hard. Really? How, how did how did you determine that it came apart in a two hour flight? I looked uh, back down the filler neck, and we could visually see. Uh, I believe I maybe sent you photos of what the the one that I found looked like. Well, you you, you went down, down the filler neck with a borescope, in other words. The the whole edge of the the new. The lifter that we put back in the engine was had been chipped off. I, I chipped is the best way I can describe it. It, it, yeah. it chipped that lifter all the way around. Um, I sent you, I believe, if, I don't know if you remember, I sent you pictures of the first one. We have, yeah, we have pictures. It's pretty bad. And that was after that was a new lifter with only two hours on it. That's the the old one per se. Uh, the new one looks oh. exactly the same. Yes. And it, I don't know if you can look, it, I don't know if in the photo, we had a hard time determining, my mechanic and I both looked at the cam lobe, but it appeared to me that there it was possible that there was a, a very small piece of the lobe itself missing, uh, but we couldn't really de determine that. And he used a pick and didn't feel like there was any variation there, but that was the only thing that, that we could determine. And I, other than, 
it's at the shop right now. I'm not sure if they've taken it apart, but uh, I don't know other than, you know, assuming it was the cam. That's kind of why I emailed all of you. I'm terribly suspicious of this because I've I've never heard of a, of a lifter coming apart in two hours. In that short a time. I I just don't think that happened. Even if something was wrong with the cam, that's a very short time. Uh, so that points to something wrong with the lifters that they put in, some kind of metallurgical. Were these were, were these lifters that that were from Continental or from Superior? Uh, I believe Continental. They're brand new. They were new Continental lifters because I know, you know, Continental's had several runs of of defective lifters that weren't hardened correctly. Some of which they've fessed up to. <laughs> Some of which yeah. they haven't. Uh, that 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 service bulletin that you referred to, O five one, was actually issued as a result of a bunch of bad lifters that got out into the field. And uh, one of the humorous things in that in that service bulletin, I mean, some of the stuff in that service bulletin is very good. The, the stuff about determining cam conditions is excellent. We refer to that service bulletin all the time, but but one of the more humorous parts of that service bulletin is is Continental is saying that spalling of the lifter up to 10% of its surface is acceptable and that lifters are somehow self-healing. And both of those are like <laughs> total wow. lies, you know, that, it, <laughs> that, that some some lawyer put in there to minimize their warranty exposure or something. Sorry, Continental. <laughs> but um, lifters don't come apart in two hours. You, so, you need a you need a grinding wheel to make a lifter come apart in two hours. Are, are you suggesting Cam is not going to do that? Are you suggesting he should go back to Continental and and push them on this? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that. I was just try lifters just from Superior. Thinking that it's a that it's a shame that that engine's out of the airplane and and it's and and it, uh, I, I would hate to see the the case split if there wasn't a good reason to do that. And and you know you have you have you have the ability to to look at it very carefully with a borescope because you you know you, because it, it's a it's a sand cast engine with a big hole on the top of it that should stick a borescope through. So yeah, I'd I'd put another lifter in it and try again because that sounds way more like something fishy about the lifter. Can't put my finger on it, but that isn't right. Oh, there's that the is chip. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the edge of the... Do you notice the lobe? Um, you can see, like, streaking signatures that... Yeah, that that's looks normal. normal. Yeah, yeah, that's just normal. Yeah. The the main interesting part of the cam lobe is always going to be the apex. Yeah, I mean, right, the, the edge of the lifter that the we're looking at there that, that seems to, like, be, be chamfered or whatever yeah. you want to call it, that, that cam doesn't do that. Cam doesn't touch the edge of the lifter. Not in that um, way, for sure. There, there, there's something else going on there. It doesn't, it doesn't have usually, anything to do with the cam. There is a picture that he sent that's the, the lifter face that's really bad. That one. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, that's, that's just, classic yeah. spalling. That's but, yeah. but, but you know that didn't happen in, in, in No, two not hours. two hours. That was the first time, I guess. Or that, Yep, that was the first lifter. Yep. So did the second one look like that? We never pulled it out. We just... Oh. Uh, he oh, made the assumption the cam was bad. Oh yeah, I, I don't. I, no. I, I don't think that's a good assumption. No, that's a bad uh, assumption. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would have pulled the lifter and but, looked at the cam. Well, in you detail. can still do that. I mean, yeah. the engine hadn't been sent off yet, right? Oh, it, I it's at their it. shop, but I'm not sure that they've taken it apart yet. Uh, Man, they're I, just down the road from where I'm at. As soon as the podcast is over, I would call them and say, if you haven't split it, please don't. And let's pull some lifters again and, and get a, a really good look. Yeah, that, that, that thing that you were seeing on the edge of the lifter, that's just not something a cam does. The cam doesn't make contact with, the, with that edge. Not in a way that, that busted off. I, I don't know if this is of useful information, but it may be. I, we found we did the 500-hour ma- uh, magneto inspection this winter and found that part of a tooth of one of those gears was missing, and he pulled the gear out <laughs> and put a new one back in. You, you talking plastic. about the plastic? One of the, one of the accessory plastic. drive gears? 
Yeah. Oh, or the gears in, are you talking about gears inside the mag? The gears inside the case, I would guess. I'm not. Oh, oh yeah. The, oh. the first time I've taken mags off. Yep. Oh, wow. That hurts. So that means that's a pretty beefy gear too. Yeah. Yeah. How does that happen? Is that a kickback? That's no, it's just that some piece of metal got in between the gear. Yeah. That's way more worrisome than this lobe. (laughs) That's that worries me a whole lot more than this lifter. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big piece of metal. Yeah. Cause where did it go? It falls down into important other gears. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, where, wherever it, wherever it went, it probably wound up in the oil pan. It's probably not doing any mischief down there. Not, yeah, not at this point. But man, so, I don't worry about metal down in the pan. I don't like shop rags down there. Right. <laughs> 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 but, but it's amazing the stuff you can find in an oil pan when you overhaul an engine that's been sitting there for years and hasn't caused any hasn't trouble. done anything. Uh, but yeah, that 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 lifter that's pretty weird that's not that's not the cams doing cams don't do that i i i don't know what it's got that lifter chip but boy it sure looks to me like it might have been a might have been a bad lifter but then so how would you get two bad lifters in a row well again you didn't you haven't pulled that lifter so we don't get, get you don't know look at it it'd be nice to take a good look at it see what it looks like and once you have the lifter out again, let's make a way more um, investigative look at the cam lobes. Yeah, if the cam oh, lobe up close was, and personal. Was, if the cam lobe was bad, and bad means it's got a crack in it, then that that crack would be grinding away at the sur- at the surface of the of the lifter, but not at the not the edge of it. And if it had some sort of weird imperfection that may chip away at the edge that i mean that would be the thing you you should be able to see uh, get in there that would have the, to that would have to look like the grand canyon <laughs> yeah yeah or something that instead of a pit is a rise something that extends up which i've never seen that but yeah the, the other thing to understand about these cams the cam is case hardened it's it's carburized so so it has a a, a very thin outer hardware layer, about fifteen thousandths of an inch thick, and as long as that outer layer is intact, the, the cam will last a very, very long time. If that fifteen thousandths of an inch thick hardened layer gets breached somehow, either by a crack or or by some kind of a deep corrosion pit, would have to be a pretty deep one, and so the softer inner you know, meat of the cam, if you will, is exposed. Then it starts to wear at a very highly accelerated rate, and that's typically what what winds up tearing lifters apart. But if that were the case, the the cam would be very obviously bad. I mean, it would it would be you'd look at it and you'd say, "Oh my God!" You know, <laughs> you wouldn't have any question that that the the cam would have to to go away if the cam looks okay. If the cam, you know, passes the fingernail test, you know, never mind the sharp pick, <laughs> it's not going to be tearing up a lifter, and it's certainly not going to be tearing up a lifter in two hours. Something's fishy about this. The reason I asked the lemon question was that, you know, like the prior my when I overhauled the engine, I'd flown it weekly, I and flew it all the time, and then had the same issue happen, and it was corrosion. We pulled, you know, when we pulled the the engine apart it was definitely corroded so i don't understand when i purchased the airplane though the the owner previous owner had not flown it very much and so i've heard you say mike that it can take upwards of 150 hours when you started flying an engine again all the time to see if your cam survived and and it definitely had cracks in it i have it downstairs in my basement and (laughs) very obvious this is the old wrong with it yeah the old the old cam yep now i have now I have two cams. I might have two cams now. Who knows? Well, but but not now. You have the advantage of looking of, of knowing what a bad cam looks like. So if your current cam doesn't look like that, it's it's not tearing up lifters. Okay, and and it doesn't appear that that, that that's the case. So there there's there's probably was, might have been something wrong with that lifter you put in. Yeah, 
It just sounds like a, bad luck. Just between yeah. just between you, me, and the and 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 the, and the wall, I generally get lifters from Superior. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Con- Continental's had too many cases of of shipping uh, defective lifters in the past for my taste. So, just another little thought: while the engine is presumably off and it's easy to get to, because you said that about the tooth coming off the one gear. You can drop that oil pan, drop that oil pan and see what's in it and clean it out. It's easy to do when it's not on the airplane. It's it's a gasket and a whole bunch of bolts. And that's not an overhaul. It's not, not an overhaul. The case. Oh, my yeah. God. And, th- and, w- with and the, then with the, with the pan off of a, one, you of, can of a see 470, you've got the cam just right sitting there. out there in front of God and everybody. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a great idea. You can idea. see right. the entire cam. Yeah, yeah. do that. That's yep. Yeah. So two birds with one stone, you find out what, if anything, is laying in the bottom of the oil pan, like a tooth. Um, <laughs> a couple or your of wrench. Teeth. My wrench. <laughs> My wrench. Yeah, There's that's no, right. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> there it is. It's, it's, with your name etched it, on as it. As long as it's not a, a six-cell mag light. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> with Paul written on it. Um <laughs> Yeah, and and have a really good look at that cam, and you can rotate it around and see all the lobes up close and personal. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Since since the engine is unfortunately off, you might as well take advantage of that. Yeah, but don't split the case halves yet. I, I won't. I'm going to definitely. I I totally espouse your guys's views on on not splitting cases if at all possible. And I was just I felt like I was trying to do everything right, and I. Was, mortified that i i lost the engine is, or, is the engine yeah. shop is the engine shop reasonably nearby can you go down yeah, there with your just own, up the road with your own personal fingernail and go over the <laughs> <camp>? <laughs> all right well thank you so much for your time i really Good. appreciate yeah. it thanks Let's will know what you find yeah okay i will all right cool see ya bye Our next question is from Tim, who's doing some smart planning ahead, which that seems weird for this group, but let us know what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. uh, Thanks for having me on today. So I'm in the middle of an RV14A build and and recently ordered an engine, which is a long wait time and a, a, frankly, even for a home builder, really scary amount of money. Mm. And Uh, looking ahead at what's going to happen is I anticipate that engine's going to get to me some number of months or heaven forbid years before I'm really ready for it. Mm. And then the other piece of it is I also anticipate that I'm going to hang it and it's going right. to be several months worth of work before I'm ready to run the thing. So fear is that I do something silly and let corrosion or some other act of negligence impact the longevity of this really expensive noisy thing on the front of the airplane. So much to talk about. There is a procedure, and I see this with, um, well, I know Continental does, was when Cirrus has airplanes that have to wait. Every so many months, they take things apart and look at things, lubricate things, and they'll state in the engine logbook that they perform this procedure per Continental's guidance. I don't know that Lycoming has something specific for that, but there is a shelf life when the engine is in a crate. So my first thought would be find out what Continental says do, because that's your real concern is about warranty. Right. So Lycoming has a publication that is publication 1481 Bravo that uh, deals with exactly this. And I believe the engine will come to me with 180 days worth of preservation Mm-hmm. And that comes sealed in a plastic bag with with a moisture indicating desiccant plug. Yeah, yep. uh, some yep. something in there that will turn from I think it's from blue to pink. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I have skin. I have great hope that that will serve me well while it's sitting in the in the crate. But I guess the question becomes: Do you have thoughts on? I see. I really two things or hear about two things. One is either quote unquote pickling the engine or. Otherwise, I also see other home builders that are using sometimes commercial, sometimes homemade desiccant systems that blow air across a desiccant and then into the engine. Do you guys guys have thoughts about that? Well, the engine's already pickled. Yeah. It's coming from the factory pickled. So, and again, for warranty reasons, maintain whatever factory pickling. So I have to tell you just a real short possible here. 
we have two airplanes that we used to maintain back when we did other airplanes than what we do now. They're local airplanes owned by the same husband and wife. She owned this uh, Commander 114B, and he had his Navajo. They both flew each other's airplanes. And for medical reasons, the airplanes both sat for four years. No, eight years. I'm sorry, eight years next to each other in the same hangar. Both have Lycoming 540 engines, different version of them, but 540 engines. We did the return it to service annual for the commander about three months ago. We just knew the engine was going to be a rust bucket. Rolled it in, inspected the cylinders, the borescope. They were clean as a whistle. We took the oil filler port off the top of the engine, which you won't be able to do on the engine that you're getting. And we looked down at the camshaft. We could see the entire camshaft and all the lifters absolutely pristine. They looked exactly like the day that the engine last ran. Then we got to the Navajo. We did the same inspection on the Navajo. The entire cylinder walls on all 12 cylinders and the camshaft and all the lobes have a beautiful patina of rust. And they sat next to each other in the same hangar. I don't know the difference, but yeah, your, your fears are well-founded. <laughs> <laughs> if you could figure out the difference and put it in a bottle, we could all be millionaires. It'd be, yeah. yeah, it'd be great. You know, Absolutely. the pickling that the that the manufacturer does is will not last forever. If we're talking about the engine sitting right for years, you're probably going to have to do some intervention. You can partially pickle it, but you can't fully pickle it because you can replace the, the, the desiccant spark plugs and, and stuff like that. But you can't really recoat the inside of the engine with, with, with pickling oil because you can't run the engine. You can't turn it. You're not going to be able to get lubricant around there. So I think I think your best bet is is to probably regularly change the the, the desiccant spark plugs to to keep the cylinders dry, and to use uh, some kind of a dehumidifier to keep the bottom end of the engine dry. There are two styles of dehumidifier. One uses desiccant crystals that that have to be periodically re- refreshed. And the other, there's a unit called Black Max. It costs about $500. And it, it's a, a, an electric dehumidifier that basically works the way a room dehumidifier does by, by refrigerating the air and squeezing all the moisture out that way. Um, and it doesn't have any, any consumables other than electrons. So you just have to plug it into the wall and it, it pumps out dry air and then you hook, it, hook a tube in, into the engine breather or, or the engine oil filler port, and it, it keeps the bottom end of the engine full of this cold, dry air that, that will protect it. That's probably about the best you're going to be able to do. Yeah. And it always goes longer than you expect, right? You always think, oh, it's just a couple more months, and then six months yeah, later. Th- this is this is an epidemic problem with home builders because yeah. they, they, they typically <laughs> they typically get their engines long before they're ready to put them in service. Sure. And yeah. it's even worse now because of the extreme long lead times. People are ordering their engines super early because they know they're going to take forever to come. Don't blame me. And then yeah. and then they come and 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 they're not ready. And you know that's just that just just the way it goes with. A year or so ago, there was there was news leaked of a impending price increase from mm-hmm. Lycoming, and that triggered <laughs> that triggered a whole bunch of uh, engine orders, including my own. Wow! Yeah, smart advertising. I think yeah, I that, think that's why they did the price increase. And they, they never they never just increase it and not tell anybody. They always telegraph this in advance because <laughs> they, they're just trying to drive more orders yeah. in. And somehow that one year build turns into five. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, so so I think yeah, buying that a machine like a Black Max or something like that sounds like your best bet. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yet more money to spend on my home. Belt. I know that's right. Really? Always. Yeah, when, when you're talking about a forty-five thousand dollar engine, a five hundred dollar dehumidifier, it just seems like it's worth. Just it all hurts. <laughs> I wish it was only uh, forty-five thousand, Mike. And uh, <laughs> please, guys, don't call my wife and tell her about this. No, no. Wow. We'll make sure that she doesn't listen to the podcast. 
She's going to love the airplane. Just oh, she will. Her that. <laughs> she will love the airplane. And all yeah. the great places yeah. you'll go. And remember, you're already 90% complete and oh, only shush. 90% to go. It, enjoy the build. Enjoy it. <laughs> I am enjoying yeah. the build. I greatly yeah. appreciate your time today. Oh, and log all your time. It counts towards your A&P. There That's you go. Right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll have fun with that. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah. All enjoy. Right. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Okay, we're wrapping up another podcast. We'd love to know if we got anything right or how much Paul got wrong. Please send your questions and comments to podcasts at aopa.org, and we'd love to hear from you next time. I'm not even sure I'm going to respond to that. I'm not sure what to do with that. You have to respond. I have to respond. Just think how boring it would be without me giving all this bad advice and wrong answers. I do it on purpose. I know all the right answers, of course. You, you do it to of counterbalance course. Colleen, who never says anything wrong. That's That would be <laughs> probably true. Probably oh. true. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>